in to a new Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Munster Tiger, publisher of BuffStampede.com. Here with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Tyler, we're really close to some football games. Yeah, finally. Week zero this week, although I'm not sure that really counts. They call it week zero for a reason. You no, excited for the, the no Hawaii games CSU worth game? Watching? No, not really. I mean, it's, <laughs> I'm not, I don't even think I'm going to watch it, to be honest. Okay. Buff Stampede Radio is brought to you by EverPillow by Infinite Moon. It's ever customizable, ever comfortable, and everything you could want in a pillow. They did their research and sourced the best natural materials for you for the best price. Oh, and it's ridiculously comfortable. When your new EverPillow arrives, it will come with a drawstring bag to store your extra fill so you can customize the loft and shape to give you the perfect spinal alignment. Why not customize your pillow and say goodnight to kinked necks and morning aches and pains? Go to infinitemoon.com, that's I-N-F-I-N-I-T-E moon.com, and use GoBuffs in the cart to receive 10% off your next purchase. Tyler, there were a couple open practices to the media and public. Went to both of those, obviously. You uh, went to a kind of more exclusive practice as well. Uh, Obviously, we'll be careful with what we talk about there, but just kind of your overall general impressions from seeing two scrimmages this preseason. Uh, I think it's a deep team. Um, <clears throat> they feel really comfortable with where they are. Uh, I think Montez has certainly shown that he's a little more aware of everything that's going on, shall we say. Um, just seems a lot more comfortable not making, you know, in years past he was a little bit herky-jerky in terms of is he a reliable guy who makes a couple big plays, he makes a couple plays that you make you scratch your head. Didn't see a whole lot of that from him this year. Seems to be making the right decision. He's not. He doesn't have happy feet in the pocket. He looks comfortable, confident back there. So I think that's one of the bigger developments. I mean, the skill positions, this team is really talented. I think people are going to be really shocked nationally once they figure out how good this wide receiver core is specifically. Um, D-line, O-line are still the question marks. They always will be until they prove otherwise. But I think especially on the D-line, you've got a little more of a stout presence there, and they have seven guys who they feel comfortable putting in the rotation. So I'm starting to feel more and more confident for sure. I would say I'm more comfortable with Montez after seeing those practices. I'm more comfortable with the defensive line just seeing how strong and efficient Israel Antoine already is as a true freshman. I would say I'm a little more concerned with the cornerbacks now than I was before going to those. I think uh, they've got a lot of talent there, but in Delrick Abrams Jr., it sounds like he's emerging a little bit, but not to that Isaiah Oliver level with, with any of those guys. Yeah, I don't think they have an Isaiah Oliver on this team right now. Um, they have a lot of experience, though, and I still f- feel okay that two of those guys will come out and you know win, win the job. I still feel comfortable that if one of them doesn't work out, they can rotate somebody else in that'll do an okay job there. Um, yeah, but I, I definitely think they don't have that shutdown guy where you've been accustomed to seeing in years past. Yeah, that's the good thing. Uh, you think back to that one Embry year when they were having to put Crawley and Yuri right out there a lot. At least if one guy's struggling cornerback, he's going to get a pretty quick hook and there's somebody right. else that's going to get in there. And Yeah, Wigley, you saw last year that worst-case scenario, he'll be serviceable out there. Right. I, yeah, I agree with that. And I think Udofia, when he was healthy, was pretty solid as well. So assuming that, you know, I don't, I don't even know if those are the two guys that are going to start. I'm not sure either of them are fate being favored at this point. We'll have to see, but... Yeah, I mean, I think they all are a little bit different at corner. They seem to like Ronnie Blackman a lot, so they'll probably use all of the corners differently based on the matchup, which I think is kind of interesting. And you love that Nate Landman has continued to come on and that they can move Drew Lewis to some outside backer. But on the other end of that, a little disappointing that one of those 
outside linebackers hasn't really emerged as, as an elite pass rusher. Alex Changham, I mean, we maybe had too high expectations because he's like a chiseled Greek yeah. god out there. But, I mean, this is a guy that didn't play football until he got to Juco. So, yeah, he, he definitely seems like he's gonna be, he's in line for a red shirt. Now we haven't heard that, but we'll see how it plays out. He definitely wasn't doing a whole lot with the ones and twos and the two scrimmages that I saw. Uh, the other guys, I think, again, are serviceable. They're not going to blow you away. I, I, I don't know if it's more of them being concerned about the outside guys as it is. I think they're just trying to get the three best linebackers on the field. And Drew Lewis obviously had a lot of success as a pass rusher last year inside. So they're just trying to play around with that. I mean, you're going to have a ton of speed on the field if you play those three guys at the same time and – and have Davion Taylor out there too, right? Yeah, who I haven't honestly in the two scrimmages that I've seen, he hasn't done much. So I, they're just—I'm not sure if they're just moving him along slowly or if he—I I didn't even see him at the second scrimmage. So okay. I'm not sure if he was just in—you know—had something going on or I just didn't happen to catch him while he was out there, perhaps too. But they—it—you uh, know—it's going to be interesting to watch this defense run around. I mean, I think they're going to make some plays that make that are pretty surprising. But Nate Landman is a scary dude, man. <laughs> That's the one thing you see about practice. He could have ended a wide receiver's life in that second scrimmage. And they were only playing thuds, so he didn't even hit him at all, actually. He just basically whistled like a freight train and went right by him, let him know that what would have happened if it was a real game. It just sounds differently when he hits people. Yeah. And, the, yeah, the first scrimmage, there was a play where Montez not being live, it, had he been live, he would not be walking right right now. <laughs> he was, yeah. That's the, another thing, too, is McIntyre did make the point that it's hard to stand out as a pass rusher when you can't hit the quarterback, right? Right. Yeah, and there was a couple situations in that second scrimmage where like NJ would have had a sack probably, and there was a couple other guys with opportunities that, as well at some point. You know, it's they, they ask you to thud, but there's so many rules about what you can and can't do, especially with the quarterbacks. It's It must be hard to play defense in those situations because, yeah. you, you know, you can't really go at them, but you get yelled at if you pull up, so... <laughs> Jason Sanchez, a safety that had been in the program for a few years, had to medically retire. A tough deal there. He had a long list of injuries, and he yeah. just kept working so hard to try to get back there. Uh, you feel bad for that young man. It did open up a scholarship, and so the positive there is that uh, they had three scholarships available to walk-ons. Brady Russell, Davis Price, and Daniel Talley were placed on scholarship at that scrimmage you were at. Uh, yeah, and I, they, I, you could hear we were on the field. They let us on the field for this, so it was pretty cool. You could hear everybody talking, and McIntyre was addressing the whole team before they went out for the scrimmage, and he you know, basically made a comment like, this is my favorite thing to do, and I knew exactly what was going to happen. Everybody starts looking up at the video board, and I was like, okay, they're about to give some scholarships. And I thought it was kind of significant. Obviously, Brady Russell is a freshman. Um, and Davis Price is a junior, too. So two of those guys are going to be multi-year scholarship yeah. guys. So, that I mean, they really felt like they earned their scholarship. You see a lot of times some of those senior walk-ons get those scholarships because they're available and they only need to fulfill them for one season. But, you know, a couple of those guys are going to be, I mean, Brady Russell might as well have just been a part of the last year's class because he's going to be a guy who's a scholarship guy for his entire career. Yeah, you would be surprised if you didn't know anything about his backstory and went out to a practice and somebody told you that was a walk-on. He doesn't look or play like one. No, yeah, he's a physical guy. They're definitely going to use him. He's one of the three true freshmen, I can say for sure, is going to be. He's a redshirt freshman. Was, well, okay, that's, yeah, I mean, just freshmen that are yeah. going to play on the one and two deep for sure. Yeah, right? yeah. Clyde Moore left the program after just, uh, I think, about a week and a half, two weeks maybe on, on campus. That's too bad. I really liked his film. It's personal reasons. 
I don't know exactly why. He's heard a few rumors here and there, but obviously. Yeah, nothing substantial, I guess. But yeah, it was a bummer. I liked his film too. Thought he was a guy who could be a little bit of a thumper inside as well, just kind of like what you see from Landman. Um, you know, we'll see how it plays out. I think we have to feel a lot better about inside backer than we kind of thought we were going to leading into this year. It feels like at least four really solid guys in that spot. So he wasn't going to play much this year. We'll see how quickly they can get somebody in to replace him. Since our last show, Colorado's added two commits. Naeem Rodman is the first 2019 defensive line recruit to commit to the Buffs. He's a 24-7 sports composite three-star prospect from St. John Bosco, had three other power conference options in Boston College, Minnesota, and Oregon State, was part of a rotation there at St. John Bosco. Uh, I think, uh, at least our analysts think that he's going to have a breakout senior year. He's a big boy. On film, he looks like he's a good athlete. He obviously goes to a big-time program, goes against big competition every day. Um, he's a little bit – he's a low-rated guy right now, especially on our commit list, but it seems like most people who have seen him are expecting that to rise throughout his senior year. Most people had really positive things to say about him. So yeah, a, good, a good first D-line commit for sure. Might have to just keep recruiting him, especially if he does blow up this year. That's kind of the interesting thing with recruiting is you want him to have this amazing senior year, but you – if you're a Colorado fan, still want to be a buff. And we saw last the last few years, there's been a handful of guys that have kind of blown up after they committed to Colorado, and mm. the Buffs have had to really work hard to keep them on board. Alec Pell was the 17th pledge. Uh, Cherry Creek athlete flipped his commitment from Boise State, put on a lot of good weight this offseason, was able to get up to 6'4", 230. Buffs kept evaluating him, and now he looks like a legit Pac-12 caliber guy. Yeah, we actually went to go see Dimitri Stanley last year, and we were looking around the field at other guys who potentially would have a chance to play Power 5 football this year, and he was one of the guys that came up for me. Um, he's just he, It's interesting to recruit him because he plays a lot of different positions for Cherry mm-hmm. Creek, and no one really knew exactly where he was going to fit in. A lot of people were – or he, I guess, wanted to play more offense – I mean, a lot of the, his offers are for defense, and so that's where Colorado liked him. And once he became more on board with playing defense and at the next level, I think people started to blow up with him. It's a lot of fun to watch play. I mean, he's going to help you in a lot of different ways. If anybody gets to go out you know, and watch Trey Creek this year, he's a pretty good athlete, so I think people will be pleasantly surprised by what he's able to do. Sounds like most likely he'll end up playing the jack backer position, but outside linebacker is not out of the realm of possibility. And- who knows, even Buffbacker, maybe if they want to like upgrade their size at that position, he's going to be apparently in, in pass coverage quite a bit for Cherry Creek this year. The third straight recruiting cycle, they've gotten a guy from Cherry Creek. Another uh, recruiting note here, Josiah Davis, actually their first verbal commitment. He put on 27 pounds this past offseason. As long as it's good weight, that's awesome. Well, he says it's his 40s improved. Yeah, um, so that would, that would qualify for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I think they need that kind of a – you know, a back. They don't have that guy in their system right now. A guy who's, I mean, he, that puts him up to like almost 230 pounds, if I remember correctly. Uh, he, so, he was up from 187, so he's okay, still so lower. 220. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, we don't, Bo Bisher, that's the only guy. He's a little bit more lanky. You know, Davis is a little more stout, so it would be nice to have a little more of a wrecking ball option in your backfield, too. Yeah. He's going to actually early enroll at Colorado. Alec Pell is as well. Ty Evans, a quarterback commit, is planning to. Um, Carl Jones plans early enroll. KJ Trujillo uh, doesn't necessarily mean those guys are going to step into play right away, but you you see the the learning curve accelerated when those guys get that extra spring ball under their belt. 
Let's, before we get into an interview I did with place kicker James Stefano, let's really quickly, Tyler, kind of go position by position. We didn't do that on our camp preview. Figured we'd watch a couple of these practices before we really did that. We already talked a little bit about Steve Montez. He's always been comfortable in his own skin. Now he looks comfortable on the football field. Yeah, I mean, he's, he seems to be able to make all the throws. Obviously, he struggled early last season with the deep throws, despite having a lot of strength in his arm. Got better as the year went on. I haven't watched him consistently struggle with a single route in the two times I've been able to watch him so far this year. Uh, we'll see how he does when the lights turn on. I mean, I think that's really the next step for him. He had, he had a solid, I thought, sophomore campaign. Had some good games and some where he struggled for sure. He could take this team a pretty long way if, if he you know takes his game to the next level. It's interesting hearing national people, even other Pac-12B writers, not many people expect much out of him. Pro Football Focus, I think, is the only place I've seen that's really high on his potential. I mean... You mentioned that, yeah, he had an up-and-down sophomore season, but he still was in the middle of the pack in terms of the conference's quarterbacks and passer rating last year. And this is a conference that had Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold, Khalil Tate. Uh, I think he's overrated, but Jake Browning's a solid college quarterback. Yeah, I mean, Luke Falk also. And, and, you know, three of those guys are gone. So you have to feel pretty good about him being a, you know, maybe not first or second best quarterback in the league, but probably third or fourth is pretty reasonable, I would think. Yeah. Sam Neuer is probably... The, the favorite to be the backup? Yeah, I think from what we've heard, he's been the most consistent. I was really impressed with his arm talent. He throws a hard ball. I mean, I'm, I, I know Montez is not trying to kill guys in practice and stuff, but Neuer on his out routes throws the ball harder than Montez even does. Um, so that was kind of surprising to me. Um, in the scrimmage, didn't have the greatest performance I've ever seen, but I still think he's the most consistent out of all those other guys. He moves his feet well, um, and he looks to be more and more comfortable. And he's honestly – he's. Gained a little bit of weight, too. He's a bigger guy than I was really expecting. Being, you know, standing next to the field, you can see how big some of these guys are. So, yeah, I think whoever is number two, both of those guys have flashed quite a bit between him and Lytle. But I think for the first time in a while, we have three quarterbacks that I think the staff feels pretty comfortable playing if they need to. Yeah, if Tyler Lytle is the third-string quarterback, they've never, at least since I've been covering the program, had a third-stringer with that much arm talent. Now, if he gets in games, I'm sure there's going to be – Quite well, a bit of struggling sure, from his yeah. inexperience. But. Yeah. All right, running back, we saw Trayvon McMillan run with good pad level patience in that first scrimmage. You just kind of saw, okay, this is a senior out there. Right, yeah. You know, probably he's not Phil Lindsay. I think that's probably fair to say you know, he's not going to rush for 1,600 yards. But he's a guy who's got a lot of leadership. He definitely knows what he's doing. It seems to me like if you need three yards, Trayvon McMillan's going to give you four. You know, he just he just seems to have that ability about him as a running back to just get where he needs to go on the field. I don't know if he's going to bust off with a lot of seventy yard runs, but he's going to be very consistent and I think really reliable for us in third down situations as well. Like they expected, he's been a good receiver out of the backfield during mm-hmm. preseason, and yeah, as Hagen says, he's a glider, much yep. aesthetically different running back than yeah. what we've been used to. Kyle Evans, though, he's got a lot of that Philip Lindsay quality. Obviously, not to the level that Philip is. I mean, he's going to probably make the Broncos, so that more makes sense. Of, but... Yeah, more of a jitterbug type. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you like that combo? Yeah, I think so. Evans, um, I think is at this point, at the very least, going to split carries. Uh, so we'll see. You know, he's a smaller guy, so he's going to have to stay healthy during the season. But yeah, I think it's you know, again, it's not Phil Lindsay, but we knew it wasn't going to be, and I think that's a fairly reliable duo that you have to feel pretty comfortable. And now a lot of it's going to have to 
depend on the O-line. I mean, if the O-line's better, they're going to look pretty solid. If the O-line struggles, they're not. So that has a lot to do with it as well. I made this comment during the first scrimmage. We were all watching at Folsom Field. I'm smart enough to know I'm not nearly as smart as these coaches, but every once in a while there's a player that I just don't really get it, and that guy is Bo Bichirat for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> I would have to agree 100%. I mean, some people just, they're just like defending. It's like, oh, he had a big play. I know some, I don't remember who it was now, said that he had the best scrimmage, the second scrimmage, and I was just like, wait, what? <laughs> he just, like, you know, like Trayvon McMillan, you need three yards, you're going to get four. I would say the exact opposite about Bishrat. You need four yards, he's going to give you three. <laughs> like it's, it just doesn't, <laughs> there's just no pop there. Like every time he gets the ball, it doesn't look like anything explosive is about to happen. You know, he's running, he runs too far upright. He doesn't, you know, run over people in the hole. I don't know. It, it doesn't, I don't, he's just not, not that impressive to me. I actually like Donovan Lee more, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, at least Donovan Lee gives you more out of the backfield as a pass catcher. Obviously, as a special teams guy, he's pretty reliable. He'll probably get a chance to, I don't know about partner turn, but have some opportunities at kicker turner, I would think, this year as well. So, yeah, I think he's a little more versatile, at least. The guy that's probably dropped off more than anybody from a depth chart standpoint from the spring to now is Alex Fonten. Now he seems kind of like the odd man out there. Yeah, kind of surprising, obviously, said that he had a chance. I thought he might be the starter before McMillan got here. So I'm a little surprised by it. Even when he plays, he still has that juice that you like to see. But there's a, there's either something going on there where there's a staff issue with him. They're not liking the way he's doing something. Or, you know, I, I think the most obvious thing is his pass protection skills aren't there yet. He's a young guy. I mean, he's got time to time to get there, and they have, you know, three, I guess four, actually, veteran running backs in front of him that they probably just feel more confident in. I, I still think he has a good chance to have a successful career at CU for sure. Moving on to receiver, kind of the biggest news there is just the fact that Winfrey hasn't practiced a whole lot, but McIntyre did say on uh, Monday that they expect him to be able to practice leading up to the season opener. I know there was some concern on the message board about that. I, I don't think there's any... I think mean, they're trying to cover up at this point. They're just being I mean, cautious. Yeah, with exactly. It. I was just going to say, I think they're just protecting him. I mean, Phil didn't practice a lot in any of the open scrimmages we saw last year either because he couldn't get hurt. I, I think Juwan, you know, he could, but it would be really nice for all these guys to come together because if you have Winfrey, LaVisca Chenault, and KB Anento, along with Jay McIntyre and, you know, Mo Bell, Tony Brown, Katie Nixon, like that's there's a lot of damage you can do with those guys on the field, so... Yeah, I think they're just, you know, they need them on game day. So no need to show them up even when the fans come out. In this stretch of, aside from 2016, CU teams that underperformed or didn't live up to the fans' expectations, Maurice Bell and Jalen Jackson could have been starting receivers on oh, all yeah. those teams. Yeah, I don't. people don't realize how good Maurice Bell, Jalen Jackson, even Tony Brown are. And they're probably not going to see a ton of those guys this year, which tells you all you need to know. About yeah. the wide receiver depth on this team is ridiculous. LaVisca Chenault, you walk in there to the open practices, and I don't know, I just can't stop watching the guy because he's such a physical specimen. Yeah, he's a freak of nature. <laughs> I don't know if like scouts obviously can come to practice. I don't know. if. They, I mean, I would have to imagine that literally the first person they ask about every single time is not whoever they came to see. It's who's that guy. <laughs> yeah. I need more of him. <laughs> I mean, how often do you have a receiver that you would say, have him first off the bus? Yeah, I mean, he, I mean he's bigger than Davion Taylor. He's bigger than all of our linebackers, don't you think? I mean, pretty comfortably. Probably. Um, he's huge. And 
I mean, it's not it's not like he's lumbering out there, you know. <laughs> like it's not it's not Devon Thornton out there as your wide receiver one. It's I mean, he's a freak of nature. Jay McIntyre's had a solid preseason. I mean, you pretty much know what you're going to get out of him at this point. KB on Into, he did have the drop in the first scrimmage, but came back, had a, a long catch later. Katie Nixon, it sounds like they're going to try to use his – he was out there quite a bit in, in the scrimmage I saw. Yeah, he's playing a good amount. They, they haven't been playing Jay McIntyre a ton either for what it's worth, so it's not just Jawan Winfrey that hasn't been out there. I think they're just trying to protect some of these guys, and they obviously want to get some of these younger dudes with some talent as many reps as possible to get them ready as well. So, yeah, Katie's been out there a bunch. I think they'll use him – I still don't think he's a guy that's going to get 40 or 50 catches, anything like that. But down the line, he has a pretty good chance to be successful here uh, in that inside slot role. I mean, Ento's been good from everything I've seen. Had a couple of really nice plays. He's he's a shiftier guy. I mean, he's, they're going to use him on the outside, kind of similar to how they use Bryce Bobo on those short screens. Hope try to get him upfield a little bit. The true freshman running with the threes, Daniel Arias, Dylan Thomas, and Dimitri Stanley. Dylan Thomas is super, super, super skinny, but he's a fluid guy. Arius is the guy that kind of stands out, at least from a physical standpoint, in that group. Yeah, he's already a monster physically. Um, hasn't done a ton from what I've seen, but had a, he, the last scrimmage that I was at, he had a good day for sure. Had one probably 70-yard touchdown uh, in drills. So um, that was awesome. I mean, he's just he stands out as a guy that it, at some point he's going to be a big-time goal line threat. And he doesn't, again, not a lumberer fluid athlete despite the fact that he's a big dude i mean he's probably a legitimately 6-4 yeah definitely no busts in that group no yeah they all look good for now at tight end we talked about brady russell earlier he's the biggest storyline there is just a guy that came in as a walk-on was the offensive scout team player of the year last year now he's on scholarship and he's Kind of 1A, 1B with Chris Bounds right now. Yeah, to be honest, I haven't seen much of Chris Bounds at either of these scrimmages I've been to, or Jared Poplowski for that matter. So, I mean, you're, you know, it's, I'm not really sure. I don't pay attention for the most part to the tight ends. I haven't caught much of their stuff. But, yeah, I mean, it's certain. He's the one guy that seems to always be on the field. So, they're loving everything that he's doing right now. Hard to know where Darion Jones fits in at this point. He had a really nice play. Uh, it was actually Tyler Lido that threw him the ball in that third scrimmage. Uh, probably a 30-yarder down the sidelines. Beautiful ball. Caught it well. I mean, he moves well. There's no doubt about that. He's just got to get the offense under control. On the offensive line, there's still battle going on there. There's a lot of different combinations they could roll with there. Obviously, you know, though, on the right side, it's going to be Tim Lanat Jr., who's been 100 hasn't been limited at all coming back from the Achilles, which was a great sign. Aaron Hagler at right tackle, obviously Colby, Colby Purcell at, at center. They call him the robot. Yeah, those are the three that seem the most solidified right now for sure. Tons has moved back and forth between first and second string. So has Kaiser, and so has Will Sherman. So between those two left side spots, I think two obviously two of those guys will win that, but it doesn't seem as solidified as maybe I thought earlier about who that's going to be. Well, it sounds like if Jake Moretti, they're going to have him part of a rotation as long as he can go. Yeah. Uh, what would be your after watching those guys scrimmage a couple times? What would be your ideal scenario for a starting five or starting on the left side? Well, obviously the ideal scenario is Moretti's healthy and can play a hundred percent of the time. I don't think that's realistic. No, it's not going to happen. Yeah. yeah. So for me right now, I guess, man, I don't know. I haven't seen a ton of tons honestly in either of the two scrimmages that I saw. Will Sherman looked good. I mean, just as a youth movement, tons. 
I like because because of where how Lineup plays on the other side. I, I like kind of time. He seems to balance him well. He's a little more of a mauler type. So probably getting him in there at left guard and Will Sherman at left tackle would probably be my most ideal scenario. Coaches typically go with the players they can trust, which makes me think there's a pretty good chance that Kaiser starts at left tackle, Tons at left mm-hmm. guard, and then when you bring Moretti in, you bring well, you either keep Tons out there or you can move Kaiser into guard because he's been playing a lot, quite a bit of left guard too. Yep. Behind that. Kerry Cush is starting to come on, a Juco guy that transferred in. So he'll be part of kind of their depth there. Um, but, yeah, we haven't heard a lot about any of the other guys, really. Um, yeah, I mean, Frank Phillip has been playing with the twos from what I saw. But, again, if you He's going to be a good your, player. Yeah, he's huge already. <laughs> I mean, that's that's nice. I mean, it'd be, you know, they could play these guys for four games if injuries mount up, so... We'll see how it plays out. But I think those first eight guys we mentioned are good. Mostly who you're going to see out there. Defensive line, uh, nose tackle, Javier Edwards, definitely slimmed down. Yeah. I think he's the guy, though, that everybody's like, I'm going to wait until game day to see it, if this is actually going to yeah. result in him being able to control those A-gaps. I mean, that's definitely warranted. He's, he's lost a ton of weight. Uh, he's playing a lot more snaps. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, he's got to be better than he was last year because it was a struggle for sure. I mean, I think what's nice for him is he's got two stout bodies next to him this upcoming year, and there is more depth. I mean, you could put it in Israel, Antoine, and allow Tui Loma and feel pretty comfortable at any of those three spots. So hopefully they can keep him a little bit fresher. Chris Malumba was out again. He missed some time in spring, but you kind of keep going back to the end of last year in terms of being optimistic about what he showed at the end of the year. Mustafa Johnson just continually gets mentioned by these yeah, coaches. He, I mean, so Malumba played in the third scrimmage. Oh, he did, so okay. He was, he was out there um, doing drills and that kind of stuff. I mean, we've already known he was kind of small, but what makes me feel better about the D-line is he looks small compared to a lot of these other kids that are out there. I mean, Mustafa Johnson's much thicker than Chris Malumba, and Chris Malumba's you know, he's a shorter guy, and Mustafa is too, but Mustafa is, he's just a thick body. Israel Antoine looks bigger than him as well, you know, so they, they got some more reliable depth. I mean, Jace Frakey hasn't played a ton from what I've seen, and he's a guy who played a lot in his first three years at CU, so. And then Terrence Lang is a wild card. I mean, freak athlete. He played a ton in the last scrimmage that I saw. Uh, I still don't know if the coaches fully trust him yet. He's got some things to work out in that regard, but. Freak athlete, man. He's going to make some special plays if the light ever turns on. I'm tempering my expectations with Lang, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, even McIntyre, like you had just alluded to, said last week that sometimes he can make up for not having the right technique because he's so such a freak. But, again, uh, he'll be in the rotation. Don't get me wrong. Yep. He'll play mm-hmm. some. But I'm not expecting him to look like a world beater out there. Outside linebacker, I think follow is probably – you're number one with Carson Wells as his backup? Yeah, from what I've seen, Follow's playing more. I mean, they've used Carson Wells a ton, too. I think you'll see them both out there. Carson Wells. Is, I guess Collier, too. Uh, it's going to be yeah, pretty, pretty yeah, even all, rotation. Probably. Yeah, all three of those guys. They're going to use them in different ways. Um, I think they feel good about all three of those guys, which is nice. Um, they're all – Callier slimmed down, but Wells and NJ are big dudes. Mm-hmm. Like People talk about how big and athletic Carson Wells is. NJ is just as big as he is. So – you know, I think I think I don't know. It just you, you, just like how this whole team is. You maybe don't know who's going to be the guy that shows up and makes all the plays on game day, but you feel pretty good that of those three guys, someone's capable of doing it. Inside linebacker, obviously Rick Gamboa, Drew Lewis. When Drew is inside, stood outside. The main guys are Nate Landman. <laughs> we already talked about him. 
Akil Jones, we'll see uh, what his status is going forward. John Van Deest, to come back from a torn ACL last November and be flying around, and mm-hmm. he does love his motor. Hey, he looks comfortable. He's gained a ton of weight. He definitely came in undersized as a guy who's going to have to put on some weight and prove that he could stay healthy at this level. But always was a thumper. Now he's a thumper with the weight behind it to <laughs> to make you remember that he was there. So, yeah, I mean, I think... You know, Akil Jones is nursing an injury, so we'll see if he comes back healthy and ready. I think he's probably the fourth guy right now, but I think Jonathan Van Deest, if they need him in that fourth linebacker spot, is ready. At cornerback, he's not going to play this year most likely, but Makai Blackman comes in super skinny. He's got a red shirt just to put weight on, but they've been raving about him coming in from the JUCO ranks. Yeah, he's been, um, from what I saw in the two scrimmages, especially the third one, he played a ton because there was a lot of those second and third string guys you saw out there. Uh, he looks comfortable. He's got some stuff to learn. I think definitely he'll be redshirting, but Shadon's on him a lot. Usually that means he likes your potential. He's definitely talking to those guys that he, you know, he's trying to make you better every single day. And you learn, you learn real quick from these scrimmages. We have one of the best secondary coaches coaching staffs in the country for sure there's no way you could convince me otherwise those three dudes are special yeah I went on the record based off the fact that Chris Miller got banged up and Elric Abrams Jr. has emerged and taken a step forward I think him and Udofi are, are my predictions to be the starting cornerbacks yeah I mean it's hard to really say you could make arguments for any of those guys to me to me Abrams is long and uh, he looks like if he's going to be able to tip some balls. I just worry the most about his straight line speed, I think. I mean, he's, he's definitely a guy that people have – I've seen him get blown by a couple times in practice and not be able to make up for it with his length. So we'll see. I mean, he's, he's looked really good at times. He's very skinny, but he, he doesn't give up a lot physically, which is impressive in my opinion. So he's, he's not going to get bullied around the, out there for sure. Udolfia, I think, is probably the best combination right now of talent and experience. Um, I really liked what I saw from him last year when he was playing in healthy. Um, I think Wiggly's super reliable, you know, like ideally he's probably your first corner off the bench if all goes well. Um, but he can go out there and make an impact. And then, yeah, obviously Chris Miller, he's obviously got the most upside. Yeah. With Wiggly, credit to him, he had kind of a rough spring. They changed some things defensively and he didn't adjust very well, but Instead of sulking about it, he went to work, and he's had a pretty good preseason. So, yeah, I don't think he'd be nervous if he was out there as a starter. At uh, safety and buff backer, obviously Evan Worthington is your main guy there. Did suffer a, a concussion, but McIntyre's not overly concerned about it. Nick Fisher's really stepped up as a leader. Uh, the big question there was depth. Shadon Brown tells me that Darian Rakestraw has taken a step forward, but he's pretty skinny for Pac-12 level. Yeah, position. I mean, yeah, from what I've seen, he wouldn't be the first guy off the bench. So we'll see how that plays out. They definitely use Kyle Trago a ton. I think they like him because he's obviously experienced on special teams as well. He knows what Pac-12 caliber athletes look like. Um, he's played with those guys before. Again, he's probably not a guy you want starting. You can see that without Worthington, this secondary depth is a little bit dicier than you'd like to see. Obviously, he's their best player. But, I mean... Of the freshmen, Hassan Hippolyte is probably the most impressive of anybody I've seen. He's massive already, huge. He's the biggest safety on the team that has a chance of playing, in my opinion, and he just looks like he understands what's going on out there. He, he was impressive to me. I would be very surprised if he doesn't play this year. 
They like Aaron Maddox in a nickelback role. If you see him out there, he might be close to the line of scrimmage. Uh, Davion Taylor, we talked a little bit about. You know he's got the speed. Is he going to be able to grasp all the different nuances of playing that position? I think with this experiment with Drew Lewis going outside, you're not going to see the buff back around the field as much as he did. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, Hippolyte and Antoine are probably the only true freshmen that are going to play a significant role. Yeah, which says a lot. We talk about how deep this team is. It's only two, two true freshmen are playing. That I mean, that kind of proves that point. You know, there are going to be other teams around the country that have way more guys playing than that. Not only are only two guys going to be playing, I think only you could maybe name, I don't know, two or three other freshmen that would even be on the two deep. So, I mean, there's definitely some depth at most of the positions on this football team for sure. Punter Alex Kinney, you don't worry about that. He looks great. As long as the damn shield holds up in front of him. I mean, everything he kicks is a moonshot now. Like we, I remember three or four years ago, we used to go to practice and like every third kick was Shank City. I mean, if he kicks it 45 yards, it seems like a bad punt now. I mean, I know it's tough to like talk about the punter, but the dude can kick the football. He's come a long way too. He's obviously a team captain and he's a great interview now. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it was something about losing the mullet. Yeah, it probably doesn't hurt. All right, that naturally transitions me to my interview with place kicker James Stefano, now 31 years old, entering his second year of college eligibility. Second oldest guy in football, from what they tell me. Who's first? I don't know. I don't know. So, <laughs> someone said that the other day that he was the second oldest guy in college. It's probably some dude on BYU. They probably have like some 40-year-old farmer. His fathered like 18 children. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, here's that interview with James Stefano. Coach McIntyre said uh, recently he thinks you're about 20% better than maybe this time a year ago. Would you kind of agree with that? Um, yeah, yeah, I would. Uh, just in terms of working things that I've said in other interviews in the uh, in the off season, working on foot placement, working on you know leg lock, working on things like that. I feel like I'm more comfortable too with the snap, with you know get off times and that type of thing. So. Feeling pretty good, yeah, feeling good. You had never been to a college football game until you played in one, right, last nah, year? No. Nah. What, what was that experience like and, and how nerve-wracking? What was going through you internally going into that game? Um, definitely different to this year. Uh, I say the anticipation is always worse than the actual thing itself, so it was that kind of deal. Um, you're pretty nervous leading up to it. I mean, that kind of crowd, that kind of noise, but once you're out there, you just got a job to do, and the team relies on you to do that job, and you expect it from yourself, and the coaches expect it, so you just try and do the best you can. Once you see that first one go through the uprights, does that alleviate a lot of the the stress and, and kind of nerves? Yeah, game by game, it's that kind of thing where you, you know, the first one of the day, you want it to go through, so you can sort of set yourself up for a good day. Um, but again, it's like anything, you know, if it doesn't, and we expect it to go in, if it doesn't, you just move on to the next one. And Coach mentioned that you're getting the ball up a little bit higher too and, and quicker. Do you feel like uh, those areas have evolved quite a bit? Um, yeah, I've worked hard with uh, with Coach Matt this fall and, uh, you know, looking at film and doing all that and working on, as I said before, a few things to help it get up. But uh, I've got so much confidence in, in JT and Kinney and the whole O-line there protecting me that I feel confident to do my job and get it up and, you know, they're going to do their job. And, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. What's the longest kick you've made in practice here? Uh, live, probably a uh, live kick, I'd say. I can't even remember, to be honest. It, it's definitely 55, 55, something like that. Plus. Okay. Where do you feel, like, really comfortable with your range to where you're super confident from a certain distance? In all honesty, whenever the team needs you, you just run and make a kick. Um, super confident. It, it's a hard one, you know. You, it's the same fundamentals every kick, really. So you just go out and do 
do the same thing every time. And that range, anywhere the coach wants me to kick it from, I'll kick it from. Awesome. And uh, what's the biggest misconception people have about Australia based off your experience here in the United States? Uh, the fact that we walk outside and there's just wildlife sitting in the backyard and we've got red soil everywhere and it's actually not too different here, just for people that want to know. So, it's, uh, yeah, that's probably the biggest misconception. You said you like 80s music. What's your, your go-to 80s group or, oh, or song? 80s, yeah, probably a bit later than the 80s, but I did tweet something about that, I think. But, no, I, I love, you know, U2 and things like that, so I'm a pretty big fan of them, so I like to listen to that. Awesome. Thanks, James. Thanks, buddy. So, Tyler, do, do you think Australians walk in their backyard and see kangaroos? Some of them do. The ones that live out in the middle of nowhere, probably. Just like, you know, the ones that live out in the middle of nowhere in Colorado in the mountains, they probably see some stuff that everybody else in the United States never sees. It's whatever. It is a bucket list item for me to hold a koala bear at one point in my life. I heard they stink because of the eucalyptus is not the most pleasant odor, but I'll just breathe through my mouth and I'll cuddle that little guy. Yeah, I would say that (laughs) koala bears are the cutest animal on the planet. I will admit that. And it always, I don't know, koalas always remind me of that Brian Regan joke for anybody who remembers that. (laughs) Well, I think they're kind of pests in Australia, right? Because the food supply is so limited because they only eat one thing. Yeah. That, yeah, they, but uh, there could be a thousand koalas in my backyard and I'm not going to (laughs) complain. Well, I guess unless they're pooping everywhere. You literally just basically repeated the Brian Regan joke. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what I'm talking about? No. no. It's basically that exact joke. He said it. If there was ever, or maybe it's not, it's not Brian Regan. It's the guy who always did the one-liners. I'm going to forget his name. But anyways, it's basically just like, turn on the lights and there's a koala infestation in my apartment. Cutest thing ever. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's get back on track and get into the Buff Stampede mailbag. Nippus13 asked, which 2017 recruit is going to have the biggest impact for the team during the 2018 season? So these are guys that are two sophomores or redshirt freshmen. Yeah, I didn't know if he meant... I think he meant... Did he mean the 2017 class? I think he meant 18. Okay. Actually answer his question because 18, <laughs> we just answered. It's going right. to be... Yeah, Izzy and Hassan Hippolyte, yeah. I think, is definitely the answer there. So I look back at the 17 class, and I don't think you can include the Juco guys. That's kind of cheating. Javier Edwards, Dante Wigley, Chris Malumba. Got to be LaVisca Chanel, right? Or Nate Landman? Yeah, I mean, either one of those two. Is Colby Purcell 16? Did he gray shirt? Yes. Okay, so that was going to be my answer. Oh, okay. I I didn't realize that he was 16. I assumed that would be your first answer. So as soon as you didn't, I was like, oh, maybe I was the wrong class. But yeah, those three, I mean, Kitty, those are the guys that are going to play. Yeah. Probably. Chris Miller, if he gets healthy. But yeah, looking at that that class, I already mentioned Edwards, Wigley, Malumba, Chanel, Lamon. It had Moretti, Katie Nixon, Stefano, Collier, Chris Miller, Terrence Lang, Carson Wells, Van Deest, Will Sherman. Next year, guys like Fontenot, Poplowski, Jalen Jackson, Maurice Bell, Isaiah Lewis, maybe Tyler Lytle. That's a really, really good recruiting It's ridiculous. Class. It's probably I – don't, I don't know the answer if this is true, but it's going to be one of the best ever. I mean, even based on NFL talent, based on accolades in college, that class is going to be ridiculous. Yeah. There's a couple guys that didn't pan out, but you're always going to have that. That class depth is crazy. C. Barnean asked, who is going to be the biggest surprise for making the starting lineup in the Rocky Mountain Showdown for CU? If no surprises, then which non-starter is going to make the biggest impact in the Rocky Mountain Showdown? Got any surprises out there? You know, there are two that I wouldn't really describe any of them as surprises if you follow along with what we've said throughout camp, but Kyle Evans 
and maybe Delrick Abrams would be the the two that I would say would be the most shocking. I said maybe Brett Tons. I don't think the casual CU fan really knows who that is. Um, you could maybe throw Brady Russell in there. He's not going to be a starter yeah, a per se, but he'll well, be mean, out there some. He definitely could be the starter. I mean, yeah, yeah that, that's a good one as well. Louisville Buff asked, is Frank Felt practicing yet? And if so, any word on how he's doing? 62V36 also asked, will Frank Felt be ready to contribute on the offensive line this year? I've heard nothing about him so far in camp. Yeah, he was hurt, and McIntyre said on Monday that he is back practicing now. And Clayton Adams likes his potential a whole lot. The, he's got the frame to get really big the next few years, but he's he's already really big. He's, he's gonna got be, a, yeah, he's about probably about two seventy though. I mean, it's just you can just tell he's gonna be a mountain. Right? He's gonna look like Nate Solder by the time he's done at CU. I don't know yeah. if he'll be as good, but he has that frame, and he's gonna be that guy, that type of build. Depending how good Aaron Hagler is this year, and depending if Moretti ever gets back to one hundred percent. I mean, I could see him next year battling for a starting spot, even with a guy that started quite a few games here. Definitely. I agree with that. All right, moving along. JW925 asked, have you heard how the true freshman running backs are looking? And Oli Buff asked, any inside information on Deion Smith and how he looks in camp? So, Jarek Broussard has been hurt. Yeah. He's not he's, participating. Yeah, yeah, I think he's out for the year, right? Or are they? For a substantial amount of time. I don't know okay. if it's the whole year. Uh, Deion Smith, I, I'm going to be honest, I've been focusing on, because there's a true running back competition, at least at the beginning of the camp. Mm-hmm. I was not really watching him. He looks, I, I did see him in individual stuff, and he looks like a pretty good athlete. Yeah, he, he played a ton in his third scrimmage, so I okay. got to see him a lot. It's the first time I got to see him. He looks really good. Great burst, good out of the backfield. I mean, he looks like he's a guy who could definitely play for this team moving forward next year when all these guys graduate ahead of him, so... Um, he's not going to play this year. He'll definitely redshirt behind all these other guys. But I was I was pretty impressed with how he looked in the scrimmage. He's a year away from playing, but he definitely has the tools. Does he remind you of anybody? Uh, I mean, he runs a little bit like Alex Fontenot does. He's okay. gonna, he has that single burst. Um, he's not quite as upright. Uh, I think he's probably going to be a little bit better as a pass catcher as well. Um, but no, not really that we've had in, in recent years. But he's, he looks like a pretty capable guy. He's got good burst, good speed. Andrew S. Buff, one asked, how likely is Nate Lamon to start alongside Rick Gamboa with Drew Lewis moving to outside? Is it possible this could be our base linebacker defense this year? It could be your starting one, but Ross Ells is very adamant that Rick Gamboa and Drew Lewis aren't playing over 800 snaps again. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't... <laughs> I don't think CU has a base defense. <laughs> they really year. don't. Is that fair no. to say? That's a good, it's a good um, point. Yeah, I, they're going to play a ton in that formation for sure, especially if the matchup allows for it. But I wouldn't say anything is their base formation. But they are going to do anything they can to get their best players on the field. Yeah. So I guess if out of any of their formations, that's probably the most likely one you'll see. And they'll even have some just two down linemen sets. Yeah, they definitely do that. So, And you're going to see a true nickel back on the field more because they want to get Ronnie Blackman on the field. He's been making a ton of plays. Yeah, I mean, he he's looked as good in camp as any of the corners, so they're going to have to find a way to get him on the field. And he's not afraid of anybody. I mean, they had him going against Daniel Arias. They had him going against KB Anento. They had him going against LaVisca Chenault. Like, they'll match him up on anyone. He's, yeah. He doesn't seem scared. But you made a great point. There really is not a base defense right yeah. now. Which, you like the versatility, 
as long as the kids are picking up, I mean, that's a lot to absorb week to week. It is, but I mean, I don't think they would be this far into this if they didn't feel comfortable that the kids understood what's going on. So I feel pretty comfortable that there's not going to be a lot of lost assignments out there. Nippus13 asked, which assistant coach do you believe is going to be the biggest asset for development slash recruiting slash game day? It can be three separate coaches or all of the same coach. What do you think, Tyler? Man, so development, I'm going to say Kurt Roper. Um, recruiting, Shadon Brown. I'm just going to I'm gonna say someone other than Darren. That's easy, obviously. And then game day. Game day is tougher. Yeah, because Chevrini's never called plays in the Pac-12. And DJ Elliott inherited yeah. a really inexperienced group. So it's like you kind of were holding back judgment on him until this year. I would say game day, man. Maybe Quan Drake. I mean, he just seems like a guy that is a good motivator in the heat of the battle. Like the, the, he's, the guys seem to listen to what he's got to say, you know, in huddles and off the sidelines and stuff. I don't know. That one's tougher, though. The first two, I think, are the right answer. The other one, you could make an argument for a lot of guys, I think. Did the players do talk up what Ross Ells brings from that standpoint? He's, he's a pre- like, you know where he is on the practice field at all times, which I'll, you know, that says a lot. Uh, he he's he demands respect uh, from all the guys, but not and he's not you know he's not a difficult guy to be around. But I think people definitely when he's talking, people are listening. I guess I'll just say that. Even Ashley Ambrose, from a cornerback standpoint, I mean the dude played in the league for a long time. Chase five eight five seven asked from talking to the players, do you get the sense that they respond really well to Coach Elliott? And again, this is a question in a month from now or especially three months from now, it'll be easier to answer that because if they're underperforming and there aren't a ton of injuries, there's too much talent on this defense for them not to be pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I guess if I'm forced to answer this question, the answer is no, but I don't think that's really his role. His role is to coordinate the defense, not be the guy that all the players fall in love with. I mean, so Jim Levitt had that relationship, but I don't think a lot of coordinators do fall into that category. So, I mean, he's probably not everyone's favorite coach on the team, but I don't know that that's necessarily what his job is. Seabardine asked, which player on offense and defense is most important to keep healthy this season? On offense, thinking Purcell or Moretti, but maybe Montez or McMillan. On defense, thinking Worthington or Gamboa, but maybe Edwards or Lewis. (laughs) Which player on offense and defense will have the biggest breakout this season? On offense, leaning Chenault, but maybe Winfrey or Montez. On defense, wondering about Lamon or Taylor, but maybe Lewis. Well, he answered his own question. Yes, multiple times and in various ways. <laughs> but right, so I mean, on offense, it has to be Montez. Come yes, on. on offense, it's Montez. Um, I, I mean, it's definitely not ready because he's already. You're not going to rely on him. No. Now, Purcell would be a big one too for sure. Um, honestly, the, the, why I feel so good about the offense is there's not another guy I would name that I don't feel good about their backup. So that's a good sign. Like you could say Winfrey Chenault, any of those guys are enough other wide receivers that are capable of being good. He mentioned yeah. McMillan. Kyle Evans as your go-to guy is still pretty solid in my opinion as well. So I'd say, well, especially with Nate Landman emerging, I would lean towards Worthington on defense. Oh, yeah. That, yeah, I mean, that's the easy answer on defense. You could say Javier Edwards can't too, get though. On safety. I mean, I guess. I feel like you could plug in Tuiloma, Antwine. They would, they would find a way. Okay. They would find a way there. I mean, he, I don't. Worthington is 
60 feet off the ground and Javier Edwards is three in terms of importance of guys you can't lead, can't lose. Who are your breakout guys? Uh, I mean, there's so many. There's a lot of guys who haven't played. You know, like, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, LaVisca Chenault is the easy answer, but, you know, like, I don't know. Of guys that you aren't really expecting, it would be nice to see Hagler get there. I think he has a chance to be a guy who was a disappointment last year, turned into be a reason that this team wins eight games. Um, you can't, again, you can't say Montez. You know, like, some of, it, some of it's a little obvious. Um, defensively, Landman will definitely be up there. Nick Fisher? Yeah, I mean, he was fine last year, though. I mean, it's it's not like he was a... I guess it depends on how you phrase the question, or I guess define the question. Man. I mean, Israel Antoine, because he hasn't been here. I, I think people I don't, people don't... He, we're not talking Israel Antoine up. He's going to be an absolute monster. Like, at some point in his college career, Mike Gundy is going to scream out his name with obscenities in an interview about how they didn't get him at Oklahoma State. He's that good. Well, the biggest frustration is just watching the defensive line get pushed off the line consistently two, three, four yards back. Mm -hmm. That's not happening with Israel Antoine. No. You cannot move his body in that direction without him wanting to go that way. Yeah, and I think that's the toughest thing about the guys that are starting right now. They're shorter. So if if you have a reach disadvantage, it's easier to push you off of your spot because you can't get any leverage. Israel Antoine does not have that problem. <laughs> he will be doing that to other people. So, I mean, I think that's the one area of concern. Yeah, we have they're stout and strong, and if you get inside the offensive lineman, we'll be fine at the point of attack, but if someone gets their hands on you away from, you know, away from their body. Yeah, and that's why Mustafa Johnson even being, he's listed 6'2", he's probably he's, what, 5'11"? Yeah. <laughs> six but he's got eight. crazy long arms and mm-hmm. big hands that mitigates that. And it's almost a good thing because then you are playing lower to the ground and you've got that leverage advantage mm-hmm. over a, a tall offensive line. Especially on those super short yarded situations because you're, trying, you're basically trying to get under that lineman and not allow him to go forward. So and it's almost beneficial in some aspects. All right, 62v36 asked, with two seniors projected to start at running back and Lee also done at season's end, what are your thoughts on the running back position for next year? Let's say I am concerned. Are you still as high on Fontenot as you used to be? Yeah, I think he's still got a lot of potential. Um, Between him and Deion Smith, you've got guys that I think are reliable. Bo Bishrat's still here, I guess, yay. (laughs) Um, You know, we'll see who they get. From this upcoming class, there may be a Juco guys in the works. We'll have to see how that plays out. I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's probably of the positions, it's more concerning than some of the others, but I wouldn't say it's a complete disaster. And that's at least one position where a true freshman can theoretically come in and play. For sure. And we've um, done it plenty of times. You've got Josiah Davis going to be an early enrollee, and Jaron Mangum, a guy that had 50 some scholarship offers. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know how many of those were committable near the end, but still pretty highly. South Africa guy, and we didn't even know Tray- about Trayvon McMillan a year ago if this question was posed. I think there were been concerns about Phil Lindsay going into his last year. Mm-hmm. All right, Buff in Vegas asks, this isn't too much of a podcast topic, but a question nonetheless. Will you be doing videos the day or two before game day to go over the opponent? I thought those were very insightful as having opposing teams beat writers written summary. In addition, a few years back, Will Whalen used to do a post-game recap that I always watch for basketball. 
Will you be doing one for football? Also, Taser94 asked, can you guys do a breakdown of our starters versus opponents' starters, excluding special teams prior to the game? So, uh, content-wise, I mean, as far as our preview stuff, we'll have to figure out with your schedule and try to coordinate and see if that's a possibility. Um, I do want to do some post-game recap videos this year for sure. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll do keep doing the opposing team beat rider Q&As. Those are always good. Less yep. work for me to have to research. Yeah, I mean, what's team. nice about this time, my schedule completely changes, so I'm actually off Friday, Saturdays now. Oh, okay. So we could do like an early Friday and get it out. Okay, By cool. lunch, maybe that would be sufficient for yeah. these guys. Cool. We can try to make that happen. Cool. And then as far as the breakdown of CU Stars versus CSUs, I'm actually going to do a collaboration with Ryan Krause from the CSU site. We're going to meet somewhere and do a, a podcast, and I can say, here's a situation of quarterback for Colorado and, and receiver, and he can talk about the secondary, and we can kind of compare notes and, and maybe kind of give each team an edge you know, in different mm-hmm. phases of the game. Uh, because I'll be honest with you. Oh, here's another question. I'll jump into the 62v36 ask. Thoughts on the CSU squad this year? Anyway, we lose to them. I have not even really started my CSU research. Yeah, I mean, I will say this year seems really quiet on the CSU front to me. Normally, we're hearing positive things about camp and all these guys that they have that are going to be studs. Um, you know, like Michael Gallup was all over the place last year. You heard him everywhere you went. Um, Rashard Higgins the year before. Now everybody's saying the same thing about BC Johnson early on but I just haven't heard much from them it seems leads me to believe they're a little bit concerned but it could be quiet confidence too I guess you know maybe that's just wishful thinking on my part we'll see but I don't know it doesn't seem to me like there's a whole lot of obvious optimism coming out of their camp right now um I mean they're starting they're starting six freshmen I think I saw on the depth chart is what is what it said on the board the other day I mean that's ballsy or, I mean, if you, I mean, I'm sure they have to do it. Why would you do it just for fun? But, yeah, I mean, there's got to be some concern there, I would think. McIntyre doesn't like the fact that CSU plays a game before the Rocky Mountain Showdown. I like it because then it gives you a chance to really, instead of having to do a lot of research without watching a game, you can sit there. I don't know how much you'll be able to take away from a game against Hawaii at home, though. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I mean, I, they're starting a left tackle that's a walk-on. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, not to say that our offensive line situation is perfect by any stretch, um, but I don't know. I mean, that, that better be a pretty damn good walk-on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Castle Rock Buff asks, can you compare the matchups of the expected starting wide receivers for the Buffs against their DBs? Who wins the battles? Again, I'll have more on that with Kraus. Do you know anything about their DBs? Uh, they're, they got a guy that's transferred in. Um, that, the kid that started as a true freshman last year that everybody was – crushing as not being able to guard our wide receivers is actually not starting this year. Oh, okay. So I guess they got two guys that they feel pretty good about moving forward. Anthony Hawkins was the guy okay. that started last year at corner, and we were like, oh, he's going to give up 300 yards. We all know how that worked out. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know enough about their CVs. I'll try to watch this Colorado State game, I guess, if I have to. But I would feel confident with our wide receiver core against just about any secondary in the country. So Dangerous asked – who do you think will come out as the starting 11 defense against CSU? Specifically wondering how you think cornerback and defensive line will shake out. Uh, we already talked about the cornerback. Defensive line, as long as they're healthy, I mean, it's pretty much set with Mustafa Johnson, Javier Edwards, and Chris Malumba, you would think. Yep, I would have to agree with that for sure. I think those are pretty sentenced. Unless Malumba's missed enough time. that you st- He's been playing. I mean, so, I mean Israel Antoine is going to play a ton. That's just a fact. But I, I would be surprised if Malumba's not getting a bulk of those 
No, I mean, he's. they seem to like him quite a bit. So, I mean, it's hard to know if they're going to come right out of the gate with that three linebacker crew with Gamboa, mm-hmm. Lewis, and Lamon. That's a possibility. I, mean, I, think, I think they probably will. And I think that, I mean, man, that, that fourth spot, I mean, it could be – you CSU always seems to they're trying to run it at you and see if they can pose your will physically right off the bat. So my assumption is NJ is probably the other guy that's on the field to start, uh, and then you have your traditional secondary grouping, which is going to be I mean it's Evan and Nick and safety mm-hmm. if everybody's healthy there. Again, who knows who corner is going to be? I think you have I would feel the most confident in how this team is going to go if Chris Miller gets back healthy and wins that job. And then Trey Udofia, I think, would be the two guys that have the best potential to be electric. All right. Before we continue on with more mailbag questions, a reminder, Buff Stampede Radio is brought to you by EverPillow by Infinite Moon. Tyler, no lie, this is a true story. My daughter stole my EverPillow. That doesn't surprise me at all. I don't think I'm getting it back anytime soon. Yeah, my fiancé uses mine occasionally. But she mostly just steals my stuff. So most of the time when I come home from work, she's using the pillow that I've had for a long time. Despite the fact that she says she doesn't like it. So, yeah. Sore subject. (laughs) So that's my sales pitch for for the Everpillow by Infinite Moon. Yeah, my daughter will will do like family movie nights in the living room. She will go back to her room, pull that out. That's how much she loves that. Yeah, it's our our number one go-to for when people stay at the house. Because it's a really nice pillow. But we both had ours that we've had forever that I, you know, it's just one of those things that until it like rips up, can't get rid of the pillow that I've had. Well, forever. here's your homework assignment, Tyler. The yeah. next time a guest uses the Ever Pillow, I got it. I want a full on review, and then we're going to have, <laughs> have Instead that. Instead of signing the guest book, I need him to write me a review on the Ever Pillow. Yes. All right, done. I will do that. Again, go to infinitemoon.com and use GoBuffs in the cart to receive 10% off your next purchase. Everpillow made by us, perfected by you. Elrod asked, is there any game this season that you think can swing the pendulum and either propel the team to a great season or sink them into a bad season? I know Nebraska is very early in the season, but I think a win can be a huge shot of confidence for this team, possibly UCLA too. So on the positive note, yes, Nebraska, if they win that game, the season could be pretty special. Uh, but I wouldn't say that if they lose this game, it's going to end the season. So I guess that's not really the answer to the question he's asking. I, th- I think he mentioned UCLA. I think those two conference starters at home, Arizona State and UCLA, if those, if we go 0-2 there, the season's done. If we go 2-0, and again, it could be pretty special. I think 1-1 would be honestly a slight disappointment for me. Um, but I think... I, it wouldn't end or make the season either way, obviously. Yeah. I mean, you saw what a Pac-12 opening win can do two years ago when they won at Oregon. Uh, it was something I had never seen a scene. I mean, we're not allowed in the locker room, but you're around the team after the game, especially on the road. You're kind of doing your post game right by the locker room. I've never seen a team happier after a win. That just super propelled them. I don't think, I mean, they don't win the South, obviously, if they lose that game. Mm. And I don't think they have enough mojo to win games like 10-5 to at Stanford that year either. Um, It's hard to predict something like that would happen again, even if you beat UCLA, but I think I would point to the UCLA game as well. VinBuff33 asked, with the current Pac-12 media projection rankings, 
Who do you think they have that is the most overrated and the most underrated team heading into the season? What are your current rankings for the Pac-12? Also, will you guys be doing that ranking segment on the pod every week for football and when basketball kicks off? I always enjoy the brief recap of what each team did the previous week and who moved up or got pushed down in your rankings. Thanks, guys. Do you want to do the Pac-12 power rankings again? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think people seem to have positive reactions to okay. it. So, Most overrated. Ah, oh, man. I would say either UCLA or Arizona State. Either one to me. Well, Arizona State was picked last in the it's, South. Right, in Pac-12, but not, I mean, in win projections and all that kind of okay. stuff. For the most part, they're not last. We're okay. last in most of the stuff okay. that I've seen. Those are the two that I, I, don't, I just don't see them being very good. It sounds crazy to say this about a program that recruits the way USC d- does, but... They lost nine starters, Sam Darnold, Ronald Jones. I mean, I think the Pac-12 South is pretty fairly wide open, and but most people are picking USC. That's the only. I'm not saying yeah. I don't think they're yeah. think they're going to be really good. I don't. The the rankings came out today. The AP. Where were they at? Fifteen. So, okay, see that's high. I thought they're going to be more in the twenty range. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think people expect them to be a little down, so I didn't really include them. But yeah, I mean, if they're fifteenth in the AP, I think that's probably high. I would also say. I think Oregon is going to end up ranked highly, but I think it's largely because their schedule is extremely poor. I don't think they're all that great. They just don't play anyone good. I hope Arizona State is its an unmitigated disaster with Herm Edwards there because <laughs> I think when you hire a guy that has never been a coordinator in college and hasn't coached that long, like you don't deserve to have success. I'm sorry, that was a ridiculous hire. But I think they might be a little underrated from, not from the win projections you're talking about, but from just them being dead last in the Pac-12 South. The only team in the division that didn't get a first place vote, not that they obviously should, but I think it's going to maybe take a little bit longer for the Herm Edwards disaster to take hold just because they returned so many guys off last year's team. Yeah, I mean, I will say I think that the South is very deep. All of those teams are pretty solid and I think have a chance to maybe – sneak out bowl seasons everyone i think it's possible while as the north i think there are three good teams and there are three bad teams i think washington state cal and oregon state are all pretty bad this year um so i could see that division being a lot more um top heavy Mm -hmm. than ours for sure black and gold josh asked the buffs across all services seem to be in the top four in pac-12 recruiting chef posted a screenshot that they were two do we have to land kyle ford or bandis to stay there, or is this is there another route? Bandis already committed to Washington. To stay up that high, yeah, you have to get a Kyle Ford who's a five-star recruit because that stuff really bumps you up in terms of yeah. that. I didn't know if he was asking for top four or two. I mean, I can we're not finishing no. two, so I, it doesn't matter what you throw at me. I'm not gonna be like, yes, there's a chance that we're finishing two because there's not. Um, even three, I think, is a very low probability. I think there's a, a chance we could sneak into that fourth spot, maybe. Got to win a lot of games uh, this year. Yeah, for sure. There's no doubt. Um, but I still think, I mean, being in that fifth and sixth range is good for where we want to be. Given your recruiting base in your backyard, yeah. you take six every year. Yeah, 100%. And you I just agree. hope that you evaluated those mm-hmm. guys. Pretty and well. I think, it, of you know, you can hate on a lot of things about McIntyre, but his evaluation of lower-ranked guys has been pretty good overall. He's found a lot of success with a lot of those guys. Sandbuff asked, Tyler, if one wanted to bet on CU's over-under wins, how would one do that? 
well, now in the U.S., you can go to a couple states and do it wherever you want. So that's pretty cool. Um, I use Five Dimes, if we're going to be frank about it. Um, it's an overseas betting account. It's it's uh, a little bit difficult, I guess, to get signed up. Like They make sure that you really got all your ducks in a row. Um, but after that, it's really easy to withdraw. I mean, as easy as anything else that I've used. People have a lot of positive things to say about Bovada as well, but I've never used them myself, so I can't say. But overall, my experience with Five Dimes has been really good, as long as you understand that you're dealing with a sports gambling website and they're not going to you know, hand you over thousands of dollars like that. They're going to make you jump through some hoops. But you'll get there once, once you get to it. 62V36 asked, what's your beverage of choice to kick off college football season? What is the over-under on how many you will throw back on during the Rocky Mountain Showdown game day? I don't drink, obviously, when I'm covering a game. That would be bad. Uh, so this is all you, Tyler. This is why I don't cover the game. <laughs> <laughs> so that I can drink. So uh, that's why they call me the fan correspondent. <laughs> I'm not willing to give up all this fun stuff. Um, mine will be double digits easily. So I don't. for those of you who don't know, I live like five blocks from the stadium. Uh, or at least the you know for the Rocky Mountain Showdown, I do. Um, we have a huge house party here now that I live up here, so there will be many drinks consumed. Feel free to hit me up and join us if you'd like. Uh, then we get to walk through the CSU side of the stadium on our way in, so it's good times. What's your beverage of choice? Um, so I switched around, but usually this time of year I'm drinking more tequila. I, I don't drink beer, again, if you don't know. So I drink tequila or whiskey pretty much exclusively, pretty much always on the rocks. As it gets colder, I drink more whiskey. In the summer, yeah. I drink more tequila. After I'm done with all my content and I drive home, I will probably pour myself a Maker's Mark. There you go. So that's my go-to. Good, good, yeah, yeah. If there's nothing wrong with that, Maker's Mark's delicious. Nippus13 asked, what are your go-to, current go-to or binge-worthy TV shows? What are you into, Tyler? Um, well, someone finally convinced me to watch Game of Thrones, so I'm currently binge-watching that as we speak. I'm on season three. Uh, to be honest, I think it's fine so far, but not as crazy as everyone has. That's a better binge be. show because there's so many characters. When it right. goes week to week, it's I will say at the end of up. season two, I would have lost my mind if I had to wait seven months <laughs> to watch the next episode there. Um, yeah, so that's what I've been binge watching now. The ones that I actually watch on TV pretty consistently, I mean, obviously Hard Knocks is a brief but fun show. Um, I watch Gotham, which not a lot of other people uh, watch as far as I'm aware, but I think it's great. Okay. Um, so I watch that quite a bit. That's the one that I probably pay attention to the most. And my guilty pleasure is I still watch the Real World Challenge show. Okay. All right. No judgment here. Yeah. It's uh, just a lot of stupid idiots doing funny things, so I find it entertaining. I recently went through the latest seasons of Billions in Homeland. Uh, just started watching the new season of Better Call Saul. Slower moving show, but. Uh, yeah, I, I like that show. Uh, yeah, I watch Homeland too. Do you? It's, yeah, it's, it's, it has its lulls, yeah. but then it kind of finds a way to pull you back yeah, in every it does season. For, I, I would agree 100%. Like, I'm always like, ah, I'm kind of over this. And then one episode will happen where I'm just yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, so I forgot. I don't know how I forgot this one. Ray Donovan is the other show that I love. Okay. That's a similar show. Yeah. It has like some yeah. episodes where you're like, ah, I'm kind of getting over this. Yeah. And then I'll I just love the, the characters in that show for whatever yeah. reason, just do it for me. Liz and I love watching uh, Stranger Things when those seasons come. I haven't gotten, you gotten it. That? I haven't gotten it's that good. One yet, but I've heard good things. It's yeah, the I best acting it. from kids in, in any series I've ever seen. Um, 
watch a lot of cooking, food shows. Uh, the one thing that I love to do every few years is I go back and watch every episode in Band of Brothers. Have you ever yeah, seen Band that? of Brothers is awesome. That's my favorite series of all time. Okay, I could buy that. Yeah, the I acting, mean, just World War II stuff is always fascinating. Yeah, I would say my favorite show of all time is probably Dexter. That's good. That's up there yeah. for me. I actually like Criminal Minds quite a bit, too. It's hard okay. to say, like, put on the same category, but yeah. I do like that genre of TV as well. The Wire's up there for me. Yeah, The Wire. A couple of the seasons were really good. A couple of them I wasn't as high on. Yeah. The Doc season, not so much. Yeah. Um, I love just catching a few minutes of Seinfeld here and there. You ever get into <laughs> Seinfeld? Yeah, I mean, I've watched it enough. I wouldn't say that I... Uh, I wouldn't stop on it now, but it is funny. Yeah. All right, uh, last thing before we sign off, one basketball note. Shane Gatling had his high school or his junior college reel. Gunner. Ooh, boy, that, that kid good, man. I feel – I am still shocked at how well, – it seemed like early everybody was kind of like really high on CU, a couple of top 25 predictions. But everything since then has been this team's not that good. And I think that's crazy. One guy that I've listened to a lot said they're going to be worse than last year. And there's a 0% chance that this team is going to be worse than last year. No way. No yeah. chance. All right. I'm going to have that podcast with Ryan Krause next week. The last time you're going to hear Tyler's voice, Colorado, will be 1-0 or 0-1. Uh, do you want to throw a win prediction out there? How many wins we're going to have are specific to the CSU game? Just the season overall. Uh, I think seven is probably the most realistic right now I, I think any I think five and seven is the floor I can't see us winning four games so anybody who uh, you had the betting question earlier I think over four and a half is the freest money available to you in the world right now uh, I just can't see how that is the case I mean we have you play you play you miss Oregon and you miss Stanford in the north two of the better teams in that side you get two of the other three crappy teams at home you know I mean you got CSU and Nebraska, I mean, and obviously New Hampshire, two of those are fairly winnable, and then that's five if you get two of those. So to me, if anything else positive happens, this team is going bowling. I think seven and five is safe. All right, you heard it here first. Colorado Buffaloes are going seven and five in 2018. You're not going to say what you want, what you're going to predict, will. are you? Down the line, yeah, you're waiting. Yeah, I am. I'm leaning towards that as well, yeah. but I'm not. Let's say Evan Worthington. Uh, that's I don't want to put that mojo out there. Yeah. But <laughs> you don't know, like oh, Juju. There's there's uh, nine more practices, so we'll see. Yeah. But I, I think I think that's a pretty good prediction. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, again, I can't see this team not getting to at least five. Now five is a failure. They got to get at least one more. But that's where I'm at. All right. Hope you guys enjoy the show. Thanks for tuning in.